What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 262 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow our Facebook page and our Twitter page for the latest updates on the program. Great to be back with you folks this week. Happy early uh, July 4th to everyone. I recorded this the day before. Uh, thought I could squeeze this in today. So great to be back. Uh, I want to say thank you to uh, Mark Maselli for coming on the program last week uh, to talk Bruins. Great conversation. Uh, Mark's someone who I've always been meaning to get on the podcast. So uh, it was great to get him on last week. So you can go listen to uh, the Guest Friday last week on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, not doing Guest Friday this week. Just a little bit difficult with the uh, holiday on Tuesday. I got some other things going on, so uh, nothing this week, but hopefully we'll be back next week. Might have something uh, pretty interesting in the works uh, for next week, but we'll keep you folks um, updated on that. So I think we're going to get right into it. It's the Bruins. That's where we're starting today. A lot of uh, conversation, especially um, after Tyler Bertuzzi agreeing to terms with uh, the Maple Leafs. Obviously, there's a huge conversation happening because of that. Um, but I think just to kind of go back to last week, you know, where we were, and then, you know, talking to Mark on Guest Friday, obviously there was a big trade that had happened earlier in the week, uh, which actually happened, I believe, it was last Tuesday after we had recorded last week. So um, obviously the trade, the Bruins clearing a pretty good chunk of cap space, uh, trading Taylor Hall um, and Nick Foligno's uh, player rights to the Blackhawks, getting uh, both, I think, yeah, restricted free agent defenseman Alec Regula and Ian Mitchell, both guys that had been, you know, briefly in the NHL for a couple games uh, it was worth noting that Ian Mitchell did play for uh, Jim Montgomery at Denver, so that was kind of a little bit notable. But I think for the most part, it was, you know, salary dump here. You know, Mark and I talked about that uh, last week as well, so I don't feel like I need to get into great detail uh, with that trade. But I think that, you know, ultimately for the Bruins to be able to, you know, fill out a roster, so to speak, you know, clearing six million of cap space, you know, made a lot of sense, you know, and unfortunately it was tough because I think, you know, and I said this last week because I had a feeling that Taylor uh, Hall was going to be traded, you know, I really loved watching him, you know, every game he played for the Bruins, uh, played at just the level that you'd not seen out of him in a really long time, and I think was a great teammate, everyone loved him here, and just everything he did was was great. And I think it was obviously not the superstar number one pick in the league. You know, talented, didn't hit, you know, 90 or 100 points here in Boston, but did so many little things right. And I think really, I think revitalized his career because I think there were a lot of questions about him, you know, especially after his time in Arizona, his time in Buffalo, you know, and people kind of didn't know where his career was going to go. And I think he really revitalized that career in Boston. And now he gets to play with, you know, a generational talent um, in Connor Bedard, the number one pick. So, you know, glad for Hall that he goes someplace that, 
you know, is going to be a place that he's going to enjoy, you know, maybe not team-wise, because that's not a very good team over there in Chicago, but, you know, at least getting the opportunity to play with someone like Bedard, um, you know, going over there with Nick Foligno, who actually signed a contract with the Blackhawks a couple days after the trade. Um, so they'll be there in the in Chicago, and ironically, the Bruins will uh, open their season um, in 2023-24 uh, against the Blackhawks at the Garden, so that will be uh, fun to see both uh, Nick Foligno and Taylor Hall. So that was kind of the big move that the Bruins made, and then, you know, the draft came and went. Bruins made a couple of uh, draft selections, a couple centers, a defenseman, and a winger. Um, I think, you know, most people pretty pleased with the selections that they made. Bruins first pick, third round pick, Christopher Pelosi. Some people thought that maybe he was drafted a little bit too high, but, you know, I think Bruins can can work with that. People really liked uh, Beckett Hendricks and the Bruins second round pick. Uh, Bruins went with a center, Ryan Walsh, in the sixth round. And then in the seventh round, took Casper Nason, who is a winger from Sweden. And then they took a defenseman from Sweden, uh, Christian Kostadinsky, I think is how you say his name. Um, so five draft picks, all five of them are going to be at development camp this week, uh, which is starting today, actually. Um, I'm hoping to make my way over to uh, the practice facility sometime later this week for that. So that will be interesting. So you can watch these guys perform. Uh, the Bruins also announced other. Oh shoot! Okay. Um, also announced uh, the roster uh, for the development camp. Let's pull that up real quick. Um, so of course the draft picks, as we mentioned, uh, just some other players that you might recognize from, you know, on this podcast. Even uh, Fabian Lysel will be there this week, so you get to see uh, him. If you're interested, it's over at uh, the Warrior Ice. Warrior Ice facility um, in Brighton for open to the public. So if you're listening to this and you're interested to go watch, definitely uh, go do that. I've been going for a couple of years and it's always really interesting. Uh, Mason Lorai will be there. So, you know, Bruins kind of top two prospects, I guess you could say. Uh, but some other guys I'm curious about seeing um, in terms of their progress. Riley Duran was a 2020 draft pick, if I'm not mistaken. Matt Patra. Will be there. He was the Bruins' second round, yeah, second round pick last year. Um, Brett Harrison will be there. He's another 2020 pick. Maybe it's 2019. I can't remember, but he's someone else I think to, to keep your eye on. Um, Ty Gallagher, BU defenseman, was a seventh round pick a couple years ago. He's there. Uh, Ryan Mast was a sixth round pick a number of years ago. Frederick Brunet, Bruins fifth round pick last year. Sorry, I'm not able to remember the rounds and the years, but those are just some guys that I would be curious in watching. Um, so obviously practices go on this whole week, and then Friday there are scrimmages. So those are just some guys I think worthy of, worthy of paying attention to if you do uh, make your way out to the uh, development camp. Um, so then we had some more announcements that uh, came in on Friday in uh, particular with the Bruins announcing that they had uh, given qualifying offers to a bevy of uh, restricted free agents. Um, 
including uh, Jeremy Swayman, Trent Frederick, uh, Mark McLaughlin, Jacob Bauko, uh, and then both defensemen that the Bruins have traded for uh, from Chicago. So, you know, it does seem like those group of guys have a good chance of coming back. Um, you know, we'll talk about the Bruins space in a moment, but uh, the note, the notable thing here was that the Bruins uh, bought out Mike Riley's contract, which is something that I think a lot of us were expecting. So the Bruins got a little bit more uh, cap space going into uh, free agency. Um, and then Bruins made a, a couple of uh, free agent additions. So, you know, I think for me personally, looking at kind of their strategy, I think that you know, the amount of space that they had, which I think was about 13 million. I think thinking about, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi in particular, it didn't seem like that was going to be enough money to be able to keep him and then be able to fill out an NHL roster. That's just is how, you know, I thought it was going to go. Now, obviously things changed. We'll get there in a second, but just taking a look at some of the guys the Bruins did sign, um, a lot of kind of, you know, veterans, kind of on the older side, um, guys who had been pretty experienced and played a lot in the league. You know, obviously we uh, talked, I think, at decent length last week about Milan Lucic, you know, reporting that there was um, interest between the team and the player. So, Lucic did return a year for $1 million, uh, plus an additional 500000 in performance-based incentives. So I think that it's a solid addition because you knew that this year the Bruins were going to be trying to integrate as many you know, young players as they could. And I think you know, having someone that's played in Boston, that's played in the league for you know, what, what, 15 years or whatever it is, I think could really be of good use to guys like Lauko, McLaughlin, Georgie Merkulov, any of these guys that have little experience at the NHL level. And I think having someone like Luch is really going to be big for them. And I think also is a way that it may keep those guys safe when he's on the ice because, you know, he can still throw punches with the best of them. So is not really someone that I think people are going to want to mess with. You know, I know that that's kind of an older way of thinking, but I think being there is kind of a deterrent. So, you know, teams don't take liberties on the Bruins young players, you know, whoever it is. So I think, you know, one year, one million, totally fine with it. I think personally, I wouldn't have given him one million, but, you know, that's, it doesn't really matter. But I do think it's a good addition, um, you know, not thinking that he's going to give you really anything offensively, um, but I think it might just be a good kind of leadership guy to have in the room because you did lose Nick Foligno, you know, and I think that he was a guy that the Bruins really, really liked having around. And I think having someone like Lucic in kind of that similar vein of, you know, being a leader, you know, playing here in Boston and, you know, knowing what it's like to be a young player in this organization. So, you know, it's a solid move. It's, you know, not anything that's going to make you super excited. I don't think any of these moves that they made are moves that are going to make you go, oh, okay, you know, they're really, you know, going to get a really good player. 
uh, Kevin Shattenkirk. Bruins brought him in as a defenseman as Connor Clifton had signed um, a free agent deal with Buffalo. So pretty much a replacement for um, Connor Clifton, I think, here. Um, you know, Shattenkirk, you know him well from his time with um, uh, Washington, or excuse me, yeah, Washington, he actually briefly did play for Washington, but you may remember him well from his time in St. Louis with the Rangers um, and with Tampa Bay, played in 75 games last year. So I think, you know, a pretty solid two-way defenseman. I think someone that perfectly fine being a third-pair defenseman. I'm very curious to see who he ends up playing with um, because the Bruins do currently still have Derek Forbert on the roster. You know, Zaboral's still here. I really would love to see Zaboral, you know, really kind of get an opportunity and step up. And I think him playing with Shattenkirk uh, could really help his development. So I'm looking for that to be a pair, uh, hopefully at the start of the season. James Van Riemsdyk, another name that you probably will remember well from his time in Philly and Toronto. Um, definitely on the older side, you know, 34 years old, but still is a guy that is solid in front of the net. Had his kind of goal scoring go down last year, um, only scored 12 goals. But I do think that the Bruins often have this ability to kind of revitalize players' careers. I'm not saying that Van Riemsdyk is going to get 30 goals this year, but I think, you know, he's someone that really is going to benefit from having much more talented line mates. You know, I think right now he probably slots in as your number two left wing, which obviously isn't ideal, but if he's playing with Pasternak and Zaka, there's a good opportunity for him that he could really, you know, put up some points. So kind of curious to see what happens here, both Van Riemsdyk and Shattenkirk signing for $1 million. So not much money the Bruins committing uh, to these guys, which I think is smart. Um, the other guy that I wanted to mention, Patrick Brown, was a former captain um, at BC, played in... 61 games with Ottawa and Philadelphia last season, a two-year deal, but only worth 800000 per season. So I think pretty much just a depth piece um, at this point, you know, kind of liken him to kind of Chris Wagner, not the same type of game necessarily, but I think just kind of giving you some depth, a guy who can play in case there's an injury, someone doesn't play as well as they think. You know, he's kind of just a plug-and-play fourth-liner uh, Morgan Geeky is the guy that I'm most interested in. Uh, Bruins signed him to a two-year deal worth $2 million. So he, you may remember, was uh, one of the picks or one of the players selected by the Seattle Kraken in the original uh, expansion draft. Uh, was originally drafted by Carolina. Played last year with Seattle. Had 28 points in 69 games. A pretty solid you know, bottom six player, but I do think, you know, still young enough that he's still developing. And I think, you know, could follow in the same footsteps of like a Tim Schaller or a Sean Corrali, Riley Nash, you know, one of those kind of bottom six guys who may surprise, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see where he gets put in the lineup. I don't know if he's, you know, Bruins are thinking of playing him with Charlie Coyle and Trent Frederick. Did they have him centering the fourth line? He's a guy that can play right wing and center. So kind of curious to see what he can do. But I think the kind of the theme with these guys is they think 
it's kind of these low risk deals that you kind of were forced to make with the cap situation that you had. And I think the way that the Bruins handled this, I think was smart. They didn't commit a lot of money to these guys. Most of these are on, most of these guys are on one year deals and, you know, geeky who's on a two year deal is someone that I think could honestly stick around beyond these couple years in Boston. So, you know, it's smart because the Bruins don't have a lot of money committed for next season anyway. So I think it's kind of the best that you could do, you know, and I think, you know, thinking about going forward, I don't think that anyone in the division got necessarily much better. You know, maybe you could argue Toronto now with Bertuzzi and, and Max Domi, but it's like, you know, they're, they'd like offense offensively has never been their problem. It's like they've never had problems putting the puck in the net. You know, their their issues lie in goaltending and defense, which is most important in the playoffs. So, you know, I think that the Bruins going through this cap situation may have actually come at a good time because you look at the division, Florida really is the only team that you can look at and say, oh, okay, they're going to be really good. But you know, they did lose a couple of key contributors this season. Are they going to be the same team? Who knows? You know, Tampa Bay probably is not going to be as good. You know, they lost Alex Kalorn, but they're kind of getting older too. So it's like, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that this team could be a playoff team, regardless of whether Bergeron um, and or Krejci comes back. So I think I like the strategy because it, you know, fills some holes. But at the same time, if you look at these contracts, the Bruins can easily put these guys in Providence, you know, meaning that if you get to training camp and Merkulov and McLaughlin and guys like that light the world on fire, you can give them an opportunity and you can just put these guys, some of these guys down in Providence so is they're not blocking you know, players' development. So I think it was smart because the Bruins knew they were going to have a lot of cap space next summer. And so I think it made sense to be like, okay, let's try to do what we can do this summer, not try to commit too much next summer, so that next summer we can really think about kind of adding to our next core. Uh, because I think Bergeron and Krejci, whether they come back, it's probably their last year. And so I think it's an opportunity for, you know, Pasternak and McAvoy and, you know, Swayman and Lindholm and all these guys who are going to be a part of your team for the next, you know, couple of years, they can have an opportunity to kind of be that next, you know, leadership group. So I think, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about with these additions. Um, but I think that, yes, with the Bertuzzi situation, there's a lot to get into with that as well, because I think, you know, seeing the news yesterday and seeing the money that he got, 5.5 million for one year, made a lot of us go, oh, okay, you know, that's interesting. I thought that the Bruins, you know, could be able to make that work. Um, and so I think what happened was, and it's been reported, that, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi and his you know, representation. I think we're looking for a longer, more lucrative contract. And I think the Bruins offer 
was not quite what they were looking for. Now, we don't know what the offer is. You know, I've seen something floated around that the Bruins may have offered, you know, four years and 20 million, something like that. So I think what happened is, you know, Bertuzzi and his representatives didn't think that that was a fair deal because they thought that they were going to get more money on the open market. Now, very clearly, he didn't get that money on the open market, you know, didn't get anywhere close to, you know, six or seven or whatever, how much he was looking for. And, you know, the long-term deal that he was probably looking for. And so I think what happened was the Bruins kind of made it clear that, okay, this is what their offer is, you know, and that Pertuzzi and his camp said, no, thanks. We want to see what we can get on the open market. And I think they kind of just went their separate ways. And, you know, the Bruins had, you know, needs that they had to fill. They didn't have really the time to wait. You know, you look at the cap space that they had, they really didn't have the opportunity to sit and wait and see what Bertuzzi was going to do because then by that point, if you're waiting it out, you lose the opportunity to sign the guys that you want to and you'd end up, you know, signing kind of bottom-of-the-barrel free agents. And I know what you're thinking. The names that I just listed off are kind of names that are kind of bottom-of-the-barrel, but there could be, you know, purely like AHL guys that are free agents that you're signing. And then it's like, okay, you really don't have the opportunity to be a quality team. So I think that people are going to have their own opinions about this. And I think people that have a preconceived notion of Don Sweeney in the front office are going to blame them. I don't really think that that's the right thing to blame, but whatever, people are going to say what they're going to say. But I think... You know, could the Bruins sign him next summer? Absolutely. I don't think that that's necessarily out of the question. I think that, you know, people need to kind of realize that what they did was they went all in last year. They did everything they could, you know, trade-wise to try to win a cup, and it didn't work. Um, and I think there's also another interesting element to this that I had forgotten about until I had seen someone tweet on Twitter um, that this Bertuzzi trade that the Bruins made was almost a luxury because at the time Taylor Hall went on long-term injured reserve and the Bruins kind of wanted to replace that. So I think that kind of was a decent and interesting point because Bertuzzi played great here, but it's like he kind of was a luxury. And I think the Bruins could afford that luxury last year they can't afford that luxury this time. And so I think, you know, it's it's tough. But I think Bertuzzi, to me, obviously was a good player here, but he's not like a superstar talent that you should be willing to say, hey, okay, we're going to put everything we're going to do as a team on hold while you make your decision. He's not a good enough player to, you know, have that kind of thing happen. So I think... Bruins went their separate ways, and I think Bertuzzi and his camp went their separate ways, thought that they were going to get something that clearly they didn't, and then I think by the time he signed, it's like, okay, Bruins really couldn't make that work. So, you know, again, people are going to have their own opinions, but, you know, I don't think that this is a team that is going to be all that bad. Clearly, they're not going to be like they were last season. We're not talking about a league record setting team, but I think as I, you know, said about the division, 
this isn't going to necessarily be that hard of a division. So, you know, I think this team should still be able to get into the playoffs. You know, I think if Bergeron comes back in particular, they have a pretty good chance of getting back in. But, you know, I think it just, you went all in last year. And, you know, the bill has to come due at some point. And this is when it came due. And I think as much as people are frustrated that they didn't go out and, you know, acquire a big-time talent, I think that they did enough that they can maintain being a competitive team this year, you know, with the hope that they can really, you know, make some noise in free agency next summer. So, you know, that's kind of all I'm going to say. I know that I probably could spend the entire podcast, you know, talking about the Bertuzzi situation. But, you know, I think it's just, it, 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 it is what it is. And I think you did all you could to build the best team possible last year and it didn't work out. And, you know, you weren't going to be able to keep the guys that you brought in. I think it's just, that was something that I think a lot of us, I think including myself, kind of lost track of. You know, that we were like, oh, you know, they're trading first round picks for these guys. You have to bring one of them back. But I don't think we really fully realized their cap situation that it really was not going to be possible for any of these guys to return. Now, I also think, as I briefly said, the Bruins could have an opportunity to bring Bertuzzi back next summer, you know, if they wanted to. So that's, I think, also something to keep your eye on. Um I think it's probably a good fit for him in Toronto because he has an opportunity to play a full season with the talented forwards that they have, and he'll probably put up a lot of points, and he'll be you know, in line for the payday that he thought he was going to get this weekend. So I think that that's going to do it for the Bruins, but we'll continue to you know, talk offseason, I think, if and when Bergeron and Krejci make their decisions to come back. Don't really know where that's where that's at, um, but I do think that there is a possibility that one or both of them could possibly uh, return. So I think we're going to move on. Talk a little bit about the Celtics. They've been a little bit quiet. Not a whole lot of you know stuff going on. I mean, obviously, I talked at length about the Porzingis trade last week. Um, how I think it probably is going to improve them offensively. Um, you know, it is going to be interesting to see, you know, you think about all the things that Marcus Smart brought to the team. Um, you know, I was watching a highlight video yesterday of Marcus Smart's, like, the top 36 plays of his Celtics career, and I just, you know, spent a lot of time thinking that the way that he played the game, the hustle, the, you know, just willing to do anything to win, um, is something that I think the Celtics are definitely going to miss. And I think, you know, they need to be able to, you know, play that type of get, play that type of game. They're going to need to get someone or multiple people that can play with that type of intensity. Um, you know, I think it's, again, it's a gamble that the Celtics are making, and it's putting a lot of guys in the spotlight that, really are going to have to step up as leaders. And I think, you know, we're wanting to build this team around Jalen Brown um, and Jason Tatum, but I think it's really up to them 
that this is really their opportunity that, okay, your, you know, quote unquote, heart and soul of your team is gone. You know, what are you going to do to step up? And I think, you know, the Celtics are on the right track, bringing in someone like Jordan Walsh and get, having an opportunity to draft someone like that, who I think is going to be able to bring back some of that toughness and that, you know, edge and that willing to do anything. But I think they have to find some way to be able to channel that with the guys that they have. So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, what else happens in free agency. Are there, you know, other kind of low-cost veterans that you could bring in that could provide you with that type of edge? You know, I'm kind of curious to see what happens. But, you know, that was just something that I thought of yesterday where, okay, they're really going to be relying on other guys to step up and, you know, make the plays that, you know, contribute to winning. So, you know, I don't think I'm concerned about, you know, Derek White most likely being handed the keys to the offense because I think at a period during the regular season, he was really good in that role when Marcus Smart was hurt. And, you know, had that player of the week where he averaged seven, seven and a, seven and a half assists per game. And it's like, I think, you know, D. White's a guy that, with respect to Marcus, I don't think Derek's going to be taking a lot of those, you know, random threes that Marcus sometimes takes. I don't think that he's going to, you know, I don't want to say turn the ball over because Marcus can be a, a decent ball handler. But he sometimes turns the ball over. I think, you know, Derek can be in a, in a position to, you know, really be kind of that floor general, the guy that kind of sets it all up. So... I'm just curious about how they go to replacing those intangibles, you know, that toughness and stuff like that. So, you know, I think that's going to be something to kind of keep your eye on. Uh, the Celtics did make an addition free agency, bringing in O'Shea Brissett, formerly of the Pacers, um, and the Raptors as well. So you played for the Pacers the last three seasons, played in 65 games last year averaged six points and three rebounds, you know, isn't a great shooter, shot 31% this season, 34% for his career, uh, did have a monster game against the Celtics uh, this season before, I think he went for, I think he went for a career high in points, if I'm not mistaken, so Celtics taking a flyer on him, I think someone that can be a pretty good wing defender, you know, 6'7", 210, pretty athletic. Um, someone that I think could help you bring back some of that physical, some of that edge that you lost with Marcus Smart. Um, I'm not imagining that he's going to be a starter. You know, I think he's someone that most likely comes off the bench and plays close to, you know, Sam Hauser's type, not, not his role, uh, but I think those type of minutes, you know, where he's playing 10, 12, 15 minutes a game uh, can give you good defense. So, Curious to see if the Celtics can get a little bit more consistency out of him shooting the three. You know, only a 34% field three-point shooter. However, you know, speaking of Derek White, you know, he came to the Celtics, wasn't a great three-point shooter. You know, that was one of the concerns. And I think this past season, he was one of their most consistent guys shooting and making the three. So I think, you know, Brissett's another guy that if the Celtics work with, develop kind of more of a shot, I think he can 
be a pretty good part of uh, what you're trying to do. So I think he signed close to what I think is the veteran minimum. I think two years, $6.7 million. Um, believe that there was a player option in the second year. So be curious to see, you know, kind of what he can do. Um, don't expect the Celtics are going to be done. You know, clearly they still have to figure out Grant Williams. I think the latest reports that I had heard that the Celtics are willing to match pretty much any contract that he gets. Uh, I don't think he's getting a massive contract at this point. You know, free agency opening up a couple days ago. So, you know, I think in all likelihood he comes back. What do the Celtics do with Brogdon? Very interested to see. Is there another trade out there? Could they revisit something with the Clippers? You know, is there something else entirely that's out there? Um, you know, money-wise, I'm not as versed in NBA salary gap, maybe as much as I should be, but I don't know what the Celtics can do money-wise in terms of, you know, could they bring in another big contract? You know, what they what could they do with Malcolm Brogdon? You know, what kind of contract can they sign Grant to? I do have a feeling it's probably going to be something close to the full mid-level, which I think is $12.8 million. So he could get something like that over four years, which I think would be really reasonable for a player like him. But I really don't know what else they do. You know, I think if you consider trading Brogdon, okay, you're looking at Derek White and Peyton Pritchard as the only guards on your roster. You know, now you're kind of going too far the other way where you had too many guards last year. Well, you don't want to have too many front court players. So, you know, the Celtics certainly have a good amount of draft capital, have a lot of picks. You know, Brad Stevens, you know, going full Bill Belichick last week on the Trevor. No, not last week, two weeks ago. Um, you know, acquiring all those second round picks, which are pretty valuable in today's NBA. So, could the Celtics position themselves for another trade? You know, it's possible. I just think I'd be careful in terms of making sure that you have enough depth at guard. Um, so be interesting to see if Brogdon goes, if the Celtics trade some picks, if they keep Brogdon. You know, I still think that that's a possibility too, because he was great for the Celtics this past season. I know everyone wants to say, okay, he wasn't good in the tail end of the playoffs. Well, he was hurt. So I think you kind of have to cut him a little bit of slack there. But I think for the most part, he was great. You know, he was the best six-man, obviously the best six-man in the league. So I think, you know, could the Celtics bring back Grant and Brogdon? I think that that's possible, but, you know, could also be something else in the, in the works. Um, but I do think at this point, Grant probably stays. Brogdon, though, it's, I think it's anyone's guess as to what the Celtics do with him. You know, it could be possible that do they trade him, open up a trade exception? Do they bring in some more draft capital to position themselves to make another move after that? You know, that will be that will be certainly interesting to sit interesting to see. Uh, Damian Lillard, obviously, with his trade request, it was reported uh, this morning that the Celtics had called the Blazers along with a couple of other teams. Um, probably, I'm assuming, just to kind of see what kind of offer that they're looking for. You know, I think. If the Celtics do have any interest in that type of move, probably does not get done without either Jalen Brown or Robert Williams. So that's probably going to be a no for me, just to be 
And to be perfectly honest, you know, I think Lillard, obviously, fantastic player. We all know what he's been able to do in his entire career. He's been one of the most clutch shooters um, in the NBA that we've ever seen. But he's got the age thing and has had some injuries over the last couple of years. And I think he's not quite the guy that he was four or five years ago. You know, and I think the contract that he has doesn't really look good for a guy who's 33. So, you know, I think personally I'd have to pass because I'd like to keep Jalen Brown and I'd like to keep Robert Williams. You know, that's not really pieces that I'd be willing to trade. Um, so, you know, but I wonder if the Celtics just, you know, just saw what the asking price was, did their due diligence, which if they didn't, I'd be surprised. Um, you know, I think any time a player like that becomes becomes available, you know, requests to trade, you do kind of have to just do your due diligence and just see, you know, what the price is. So maybe something to monitor, but I'm going to be surprised if the Celtics are the team uh, that pulls the trigger on a Lillard trade. So I think I'm going to move on, talk a little about the Red Sox, who, uh, again, impossible to figure out this team this year. Through 85 games, they are 43 and 42, you know, following losing uh, five in a row and seven of eight. They bounce back and sweep the Toronto Blue Jays um, in Canada this weekend. And, you know, it just was one of those things where you figured, of course, of course they sweep, you know, after playing so poorly over a period of time and really looking like there was nothing good happening. You know, three-game sweep at the hands of the Marlins after Brian Bayo was unbelievable. You know, no-hitter almost through eight innings. So, you know, but I think it kind of... We forgot about that this weekend with a couple of uh, nail-biting wins over the weekend. Red Sox win 7-6 to six on Saturday. Alex Verdugo throwing out the potential game time run at the plate and then hitting the go-ahead home run in the ninth inning yesterday. So the Red Sox uh, taking all three against Toronto and they have uh, won all seven games against the Blue Jays this season and have a record of 16 and 11 against the division. Get ready for that. This team that was so bad against the division last year has a pretty good record. Um, It's the rest of the league that the Red Sox have had trouble beating. Um, I think if you do a quick, quick math here, maybe 27 and 31 against the rest of the league. So, you know, too bad they're not playing the entire AL East, you know, 19 times, you know, the new schedule is now you're playing, you know, other teams or you're just not playing your division as much. So, you know, again, I really don't know what I'm supposed to say about this team because it's like every time they give you some hope that they can, you know, go on a run, they lose four in a row. And it's just it's very hard for me to kind of gather optimism. But I will say this might be controversial, but if the Red Sox, looking at their schedule, they have six games to go before the All-Star break. If the Red Sox win all six of these games, or if they win five, 
I'm fully ready to jump on the, you know, competitive bandwagon that, okay, let's try to make the playoffs. Anything less, I think you sell at the deadline. I know that that's going to be a difficult thing to hear, but I think I just don't see it with this team being a playoff team. And I think all-star break is a pretty good time to kind of measure where you're at. You know, I think unless there's something crazy that happens, the Red Sox win like 12 in a row and go on like a Cincinnati Reds winning streak. Then I think it's like, okay, you kind of know what you have with this team, you know, and I think great to see this team get some wins this weekend. Um, You know, Paxton, again, pitched really well. Um, He's been excellent um, this the the season, you know, however long he's pitched for the Red Sox, he didn't start the season with the Red Sox, but he's been excellent. Um, you know, Bayo's obviously been great. You know, you've gotten some good starts from him recently, which has been great to see. Uh, but other than that, the Red Sox uh, struggling with some injuries. You know, Garrett Whitlock went down yesterday with some tightness in his elbow. It doesn't sound like it's related to the injury that he had. Um, surgery on so you know kind of curious about what's going to go on with him you know obviously Chris Sale's been out and you've had I feel like there's someone else that I'm forgetting maybe not but uh, Cutter Crawford's been pitching pretty well you know wouldn't be surprised if Nick Pavetta gets into some games before the all-star break could pitch as early as tomorrow, Red Sox open a three-game set against the Texas Rangers, which would be very interesting. Rangers obviously having a great first half of their season at 50-34. and 34. So, you know, yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to piece together this rotation with uh, the six games left before the All-Star break and, you know, no days off between Tuesday and then Sunday. So Red Sox will have to find some uh, spot starters here and there. Um, so again, you know, I think it's hard to know with this team. You know, I think it's been good to see that Devers has started to pick things up hitting-wise. You know, Justin Turner has been great lately. Um, it's great to see Verdugo hit a home run yesterday. You know, Yoshida's been pretty consistent. You know, Casas has been pretty good over the last couple of months had a really good game I think was either three for three the other game um, or whatever it is but I think he's starting to kind of figure it out Uh, Jaron Duran was awesome yesterday he's been kind of the most fun I think he's been the most fun guy to watch this season Um, five for five yesterday four doubles uh, and just was an absolute terror on the base bats that I feel like I have not seen the Red Sox be that aggressive on the base paths as they were yesterday. He is so much fun to watch, constantly looking to turn singles into doubles. You know, Turner yesterday with that heads-up base running to force that throwing error by Guerrero. They tied the game on that. You know, I think this is a Red Sox team that I think needs to start being more aggressive on the base paths. Now, obviously, you don't want to be stupid. You want to be smart, but I think... This is a team that really has to start making things happen um, offensively. I think with some of the guys that they have on this team, 
so I'm very curious to see when Trevor Story returns. I think that there's reports that he's been throwing at Fenway, but I don't know if he's anywhere close to returning. But, I mean, if he could come back and help this offense a little bit, I think that would go a long way. Finally get someone who can play shortstop and stick there um, because that position has been a disaster for this team and just kind of is a little frustrating that, you know, there wasn't more of a plan other than Kike playing shortstop, which I just, you know, there are other options that they had, but they all kept getting hurt. And it's just like, you know, at what point is that uh, just like malpractice where it's like you can't have these guys that are hurt or, you know, having injury risks being your starting shortstop. So I just, they're getting to a point where they're playing David Hamilton at shortstop and no disrespect to him, but it's just, I, he's, you know, a decent player, but it's very clear that he has been brought up out of necessity and not necessarily because of his ability you know, he's got great speed, you know, has great tools, but doesn't really give you much hitting and is kind of just okay in the field. You know, is going to make some good plays, but is going to, you know, mess up routine plays as well. So I think just kind of doing what they can at that spot. But, you know, again, with this team, it's just, you think every time that they've turned the corner, they come back and they lose a bunch of games. You know, it's exactly what we thought you know, winning those three against the Yankees, winning six in a row. And you thought, oh, okay, they figured it out. And then they lose seven out of eight, you know, and then come back and sweep Toronto. But, you know, as I've said multiple times over the last couple of weeks, the opportunity is there. It is there. It is there for the Red Sox. And, you know, three and a half back in the wild card, five or six wins before the All-Star break you know, could help you really get into the thick of things. You know, this is a team that was 39 and 35 not too long ago. You know, I think if this team is, you know, 49 and 42 at the All-Star break, 48 and 43, that's kind of a decent spot to be in. And I think could determine whether the Red Sox are going to be, you know, really trying to go for it and go to try to make the playoffs. Um, or do they go the other way and make it more obvious that they need to sell? You know, it's really frustrating because I think right now it's very unclear about what their plans should be. I know that, yes, people would say, okay, well, they've been this inconsistent team all year. How can you possibly now buy in that they might be a playoff team? You know, they need to sell their major assets, and part of me would agree. Part of me would agree that James Paxton has been your best starter outside of Brian Bayo, obviously. But it's like you might be it might be a good idea to trade him because you probably could get a pretty good return, you know, trading a guy that is pitching like a top of the rotation guy really could give you a decent return on a trade. You know, what could the other guys give you? The guys on one year deals, whether it's Kike Hernandez or um, Adam Duvall, curious to see what happens with this group, but, you know, kind of hard to take them seriously, but we'll definitely, you know, recalibrate when we speak next week, 
because then we'll really have an idea of where they are um, after these six games against Texas and against Oakland. So got a very good Texas team and a very bad Oakland team. So we'll see what happens with the Red Sox the end of the first half of the season before the All-Star break. So I think we're going to get to talking about the Revolution. Played to a 2-2 draw against FC Cincinnati this weekend. With the draw, the Revolution actually fell to third place in the East behind Nashville, who are now up on the Revs by a point. So FC Cincinnati and the Revs, their second meeting this season, and another tie. It was a pretty closely contested match as... The Revolution get a goal from Gustavo Bo in the first half. Probably should have had another goal, um, but it was ruled an own goal. That's, and I've, I have been stewing on this all weekend uh, since watching the Revolution FC Cincinnati game. I think that own goals should be done away with. I think that there should be no such thing as own goals, and they need to start crediting the goal scorers um, because. Look, Gustavo Bo, you know, on the, on that goal that he scored, he makes that play happen. Or the, the goal that went in, he makes that play happen. The play doesn't happen without him. And I think it we do a disservice by not crediting guys with goals. Now, I don't know. You know, people are probably going to yell at me and say that that's crazy. But I think that, that it's how it should be done like it is in hockey. Last guy to touch the puck. You know, if it deflects off someone or whatever they should get credit for it. So, in my opinion, Gustavo Bo scored two goals in the Revolution's draw uh, this weekend. But I think good to get points out of this on the road. You know, it's always good to get points when you're on the road against a really good team. So, really don't have any major, you know, worries about this team after the game. Uh, because they have a seven-game, you know, unbeaten unbeaten run and Gustavo Bo is scoring goals you know he's healthy and in the lineup and playing games and I think it's really helping you out offensively so more of him please more of him playing you know I think it's you want to see your best players on the field I think you know he's starting to kind of you know get into a rhythm and I think it's really helping out you know this team offensively because I think you have Carlos Hill, you have Bobby Wood, but you need other guys. And so I think getting Bo going is huge. Getting Brioni into games in the second half as a substitute is really helping you. Um, so I think I'm excited to see what they can do the rest of the year. Um, you know, Dewan Jones is on international duty. Uh, we haven't seen Noel Buck for a few games. Um, but I think, you know, getting as many guys that can be good attacking players is good for your team. So, you know, very pleased with the draw. Revolution will face the New York Red Bulls on the road next Saturday at 7.30. Revs are now, yeah, played on the road this past weekend. We'll play on the road again. And then they will have uh, two games. They will have a middle-of-the-week game against the Atlanta FC next week. And then they'll have another home game against D.C. United on the 15th, then the Revolution really go on the road toward the end of July and into August with road games against the Red Bulls 
again, and then Nashville and Montreal. So I think, you know, good to see the Revs get a point in this game. You want to see them win every game they play, but I think, you know, road points are really valuable. So glad the Revs could get that. You know, goal differential is still in a pretty good spot at plus 10. 37 points, good for third in the conference with 14 matches left and 20 being played for most of the teams in the conference. So I think that's going to do it for a quick MLS um, updates. Uh, just this last little thing, it's preposterous to me that Carlos Heel is not, was not named an MLS All-Star as they named the uh, All-Star roster last week. Crazy to me that he was not selected. He's one of the best players in the league, but whatever. I don't know how they do that voting, but just one last little thing I wanted to get in. So I think we'll move on to talk a little bit about the Patriots. A couple of free agent deals that they, or not free agent deals, extensions, I should say. Um, but we did also get some sad news that uh, former Patriots quarterback Ryan Mallett uh, had passed away last week, so we're a lot of us, I think, thinking of him, thinking of the Patriots family, and uh, what a great person he was, you know. So I think, um, you know, it's always uh, it's always interesting, you know, when you think about the different quarterbacks that have come through the Patriots organization, you know, when Tom was here, you know, and just kind of their their life journeys and you know, where they came from and, you know, what they picked up from Tom and the organization. Um, so a lot of people were, or a lot of outpouring of support um, for Ryan's family um, after that news last week. So I just thought I would say something about him. Uh, so in terms of the extensions, we're going to get to that. Uh, Juwan Bentley coming to terms with the Patriots on a new extension. He was scheduled to be a free agent next next off season. So good to come to terms with him. He's been excellent for the team over the last two years. You know, I think really came into his own last year um, and was one of their best defenders. So really solid extension there. No really real complaints about that, to be honest. You know, he's a good player. He should get extended. It's not really that complicated. Other people will find ways to tell you that it's bad. You know, shocker there. Uh, <laughs> But I think it's a good deal. You know, he's locked up. Patriots also get a new deal done with Devontae Parker. Um, I think was pretty good with the Patriots last year when he was healthy. So, you know, I think a lot of the new extension is tied to performance bonuses. So when you saw the $33 million, it may not ultimately add up to $33 million. It may if he makes, you know, all pro and does a lot of things that in all likelihood, probably won't happen, but I think it's a good deal because I think past this year, you only had Smith-Schuster, Thornton, and, oh, geez, there's someone else. Thornton and Smith-Schuster. Take a quick look at the depth chart. I feel like I'm forgetting someone. That it was only, no, I think it was only Smith, Schuster, and Thornton that were signed through, not this year, but the year after, so 2024. Um, so the Patriots coming to terms with Parker 
getting him signed, so he'll be a part of the team for the next couple of years, assuming that that's the case. Uh, I think both of the extensions did clear up a little bit of cap space. Unsure about what the what the exact number is, but I think good to have him back because he was good when healthy. You know, I think the other thing people were wondering, oh, does this mean that they're not going to sign Hopkins? I think that the extension was independent of that. I think the Patriots just getting another guy under contract made sense, and I also think extension-wise it does help you free up a little bit of space. So, you know, I think I'm not totally concerned. You know, I think Kendrick Bourne is kind of the guy that I think could possibly be on the way out, you know, as early as this summer. You know, and that's, to me, in my opinion, that's not even considering DeAndre Hopkins. Um, you know, last year of his contract, Patriots may be looking to other guys to see what they can do. But, you know, we'll see. But nothing new on Hopkins. Um, you know, there is a little bit of stuff out there out there about Dalvin Cook and some interest there. But I feel like that's less likely than Hopkins. I think just because the Patriots have a guy in Ramondre Stevenson that to me is kind of similar uh, to Dalvin Cook. But, you know, I'll say this, as I said to someone last week, you know, if he wants to come play for the Patriots, wants to come play with Hopkins, assuming that he's on the team, you know, and there's, you know, there's, there's interest and, you know, willingness from Cook's side to play for not a lot of money, then yeah, you know, certainly I'd say yes, but I don't think that this is a situation where, okay, the Patriots need Dalvin Cook. You know, I think that they're pretty good in terms of depth at running back, but if they want to bring in, bring him in, not really against it either. Um, and I think, you know, again, I kind of said my piece about Hopkins, you know, wrote an article last week that I think the Patriots, even without Hopkins, are going to be in pretty good shape because I think the offense um, is going to be at a better starting point than they were last year. Got some more talent, um, I think, at the, in the receiving core. So I think they're still going to be in good shape. Does that mean I don't want them to sign Hopkins? Absolutely not. I'd love to have him on the team. I really think that he would be a great addition to this team. So we'll see uh, if there are any updates on that in the next couple of weeks. Training camp's coming up. They announced uh, dates for when it will start. I think the first date open to the public is July 26th. So I think players will return the days prior. Um, so definitely keep a lookout for that if you're interested in going to training camp this summer. I know that I will be. <laughs> so I think that's probably going to do it for the Patriots. Going to get into some free agency stuff um, in the NHL. I think we're going to go team by team in terms of free agency. Going to take a look at some trades, though, that have taken place. Um, just a couple of them. The Capitals getting Joel Edmondson um, on July 1st from the Canadians for a couple of picks. Uh, the Sharks acquiring Anthony Duclair for Stephen Lawrence in a fifth-round pick. And then the Minnesota Wild acquiring Pat Maroon uh, for a seventh-round pick from the Lightning. So just a couple of trades that, um, have been, that, that have happened over the last couple of days. So now we're going to take a look at free agency, go team by team, and see some moves made by each of the teams, if you just give me 
two seconds. I thought that they had a free agent tracker somewhere. Um, here you go. So obviously we've gone through the uh, Bruins signings. So we'll just go team by team. Anaheim Ducks bringing in Alex Kalorn and Rocco Gudis on multi-year deals. Kalorn on a four-year deal. Gudis on a three-year deal. Uh, the Coyotes bringing in Jason Zucker, Troy Stetcher, Alex Kerfoot. <laughs> yeah, cover the Bruins, obviously. Uh, the Sabres, you know, as I briefly mentioned, uh, Connor Clifton signing a three-year deal with Buffalo. So uh, happy for, for Connor. I think that he uh, really deserved that money. Bruins just, I think, unfortunately, just could not give him the money he was looking for. But great for him. So we'll certainly be seeing a lot of Cliffy Hockey uh, this season with him going to Buffalo. I don't think I'm going to go through all the teams. I think just these teams that made significant additions. Uh, the Hurricanes bringing back both their goalies, Antti Ranta and Freddie Anderson, and also coming to terms with Dmitry Orlov on a two-year deal worth $7.75 per season, which is crazy. Um, just for me personally, I didn't think the Bruins were going to bring him back. Uh, I didn't think he was going to make that much money. That shocked me. Uh, but it's only a two-year deal, so, you know, not surprised that he, you know, took a lot of money for just two years. Uh, Michael Bunting also coming to terms with the Hurricanes on a three-year deal. The Colorado Avalanche were pretty active, signing a couple of former Bruins, Chris Wagner um, and Jack Ashan coming to terms with them. Uh, they also signed Jonathan Drouin, Miles Wood, and... Jack Johnson, who will stay with Colorado. Dallas coming to terms with uh, Matt Duchesne on a one-year deal after he was bought out by the Predators. I thought he actually would have been a pretty good fit with the Bruins, um, but he goes to Dallas. Uh, Craig Smith, also former Bruin, coming to terms with the Stars on a one-year deal. The Red Wings are pretty active here um, in free agency. A couple one-year deals for Shane Gostisbehere, Christian Fisher, Daniel Sprong, James Reimer, um, and then giving five years to JT Koffer. The Panthers coming to terms with ex-Bruin defenseman Mike Riley on a one-year deal after he was bought out. Uh, they also signed Oliver ekman Larson to a one-year deal, Evan Rodriguez, four-year deal. Just some names there that Florida brought in. Take a look at Nashville. They obviously bring in Ryan O'Reilly on a four-year deal, Gustav Nyquist on a two-year deal, and Luke Shen on a three-year deal. So the Predators uh, pretty active in free agency. The Devils bringing back a couple of fourth-liners. Michael McLeod and Nathan Bastian. The Islanders giving out uh, very long-term deals. Pierre Engvall and Scott Mayfield for seven years. Elias Sorokin for eight years. And then Varlamov for four years. The Rangers, you know, pretty similar moves to what the Bruins did. Uh, bringing in Blake Wheeler after he was bought out. Jonathan Quick also signing Tyler Pitlick. Riley Nash, Nick Benino. So a couple of 
couple of kind of vets for that team. Ottawa bringing in Jonas Corposalo on a five-year deal. Uh, Garnet Hathaway signing with the Flyers. Mark Stahl just signed with the Flyers. That was actually just came in a couple minutes ago. Um, so he's with the Flyers. The Penguins pretty active, giving Ryan Graves a six-year deal. Uh, Tristan Jari a five-year deal. Noel Achari, former Bruin, three-year deal. So Penguins were pretty active in free agency here. The Kraken signing Brian Dumoulin to a two-year deal, two-year deal formerly of the Penguins. The Lightning bringing in Connor Sheary, Josh Archibald, Luke Glendening, among others. And then Toronto, obviously, we talked about Bertuzzi. Max Domi also signed with them on a one-year deal. They also got John Klingberg and Ryan Reeves. So it'll be interesting to see if that pays off for them. Uh, Vancouver bringing in Teddy Bluger, Ian Cole, uh, Carson Soucy, among others. And the Capitals bringing in Max Pacioretty on a one-year deal. So it'll be interesting to see if he pans out at all for them. So I think that's it. Uh, we'll yeah, have more you know NHL updates for you guys throughout the summer. You know, any trades or anything like that. Don't expect... The Bruins are going to do anything else. Um, I can't really imagine them doing a big trade. You know, I think that if they would have done it, it would have been around the draft, you know, similar to the Taylor Hall move. But I think the Bruins are pretty pleased with what they have right now. You know, just wait for uh, Bergeron and or Krejci to make their uh, decision. So NBA, take a look at some NBA. Take a look at some free agent signings. Um, let's go through some of them here um, that are on the ESPN NBA page, and I'll take a look at more kind of in-depth stuff. The uh, Jazz coming to terms on an extension with Jordan Clarkson. Eric Gordon will come to the Suns on a two-year deal. Demontis Zabonis agreeing to a new extension with the Kings. And then obviously the Willard trade request said he prefers going to the Heat, but be interesting to see. Interesting to see what happens in terms of what kind of trade packages the Blazers uh, will get offered for him. So just, just go back to free agency and take a look at some of the major signings that took place on Friday afternoon. I think it was 6 o'clock is when free agency opened up. So we'll take a look at just some of these deals that came in. A lot of guys uh, staying where they were. A lot of, I think, players returning to their teams. Draymond Green was kind of the first one that kind of was kind of the first free agent big name that came off the board as he returned to the Warriors. Uh, Karis LeVert returning to the Cavaliers. Kyle Kuzma returning to the Wizards. And then kind of the first move of a player going to a different team, Bruce Brown, coming to terms with the Pacers on a two-year deal. So now we'll just go through some other moves. The Trailblazers bringing back Jeremy Grant on a five-year deal. The uh, 
Mavericks bringing back Kyrie Irving. That was kind of a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, Jakob Pertl agreeing with the, with the Raptors. Chris Middleton agreeing with the Bucks. Brooklyn Nets with Cam Johnson. So a lot of guys staying where they were, kind of taking away the intrigue of free agency, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Gabe Vincent, though, did go from the Heat to the Lakers. Uh, the Bucks also did bring back Brooke Lopez. The Heat brought in Josh Richardson and brought back, brought back Kevin Love. Lakers brought back Hachimura and Austin Reeves. The Rockets were probably the most active team, um, getting Fred Van Vliet and then getting Dylan Brooks as well. And then there are a couple players that signed uh, max extensions, Desmond Bain, Tyrese Halliburton, obviously as a bonus, as we mentioned. D'Angelo Russell returning to the Lakers. Lamella Ball getting an extension with uh, the Hornets. And the Russell Westbrook returning to the Clippers, Dante DiVincenzo going to the Knicks. And I think that that was, yeah, pretty much covered all that. So we'll keep you updated with the Lillard trade and then any other moves uh, the Celtics may make this summer. So we'll take a look at some baseball. Uh, we'll take a look at the all-star rosters first. Uh, Pete Alonso will be going for his third home run derby title. I think Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts. Oh, there's someone else I think that's going to participate in the home run derby. Oh, it's Randy Rosarena for the Rays. So that will be an exciting home run derby. That will be next Monday. So we'll take a look at the all-star rosters here. Um, and get the full list of rosters. That doesn't look like it's going to give me that because of course not. So try to go find this at MLB.com. Um, I should have mentioned that Kenley Jansen was the uh, only Red Sox representative. I don't know if they still do the last man in that they do like a vote of five players and the person that gets the most gets the last spot. I don't know if they still do that. Um, that has not been announced, but we'll take a look at the entire, all the rosters in just a moment. So they talked about the starters, or they selected the starters, I think, earlier in the week. So we'll take a look at this, uh, take a look at the starters in the American League. Jonah Heim from Texas. Yandy Diaz from Tampa Bay, catcher and first baseman, respectively. Marcus Simeon at second base. Josh Jung at third base. Corey Seager at shortstop. <clears throat> All three of them from Texas. Mike Trout, Randy Rosarena, and Aaron Judge. <clears throat> In the outfield for the American League. And then Shohei Otani, the DH as well. In the National League. You have uh, Sean Murphy from the Braves, Freddie Freeman from the Dodgers, catcher in first base, Luis Arias from second from Miami at second base, 
Nolan Arenado at third from the Cardinals, Orlando Arcida at shortstop for the Braves, and then in the out, in the outfield, <clears throat> you have Ronald Acuna, Mookie Betts, and Corbin Carroll from Arizona. J.D. Martinez will be the DH for the Dodgers. He's had a really good season so far. So now we'll look at the pitchers for the American League. Felix Bautista, Yenier Cano from Baltimore, Luis Castillo from Seattle, Emmanuel Classe from Cleveland, Garrett Cole from the Yankees, Nathan Abaldi from Texas, Kevin Gossman from Toronto, Sonny, Sonny Gray from Minnesota, Kenley Jansen, Michael Lorenzen from Detroit, Shane McClanahan from Tampa, and then Shohei Otani elected as a DH and a pitcher, so he's also on the roster, as is Framber Valdez from Houston. In the National League, pitchers Alexis Diaz from Cincinnati, Camilo Doval from San Francisco, Bryce Elder from Atlanta, Zach Gallen from Arizona, Josiah Gray from Washington, Josh Hader from San Diego, Mitch Keller from Pittsburgh, Clayton, Clayton Kershaw from the Dodgers, Justin Steele, Justin Steele from the Cubs, Spencer Strider from Atlanta, Marcus Stroman from the Cubs, and then Devin Williams from Milwaukee. So now we'll go through the reserves. The American League uh, reserve catchers, Salvador Perez from Kansas City and Adley Rutschman from Baltimore. National League catchers, Elias Diaz from Colorado and Will Smith from the Dodgers. The infielders in the American League, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero, Whit Merrifield, and Jose Ramirez. National League infielders, so these are all reserves. Quasi um, Albies from Atlanta, Pete Alonzo from New York, Matt Olson from Atlanta, Austin Riley from Atlanta, and then Dansby Swanson from the Cubs. The National League outfielders, Austin Hayes, Adolis Garcia, Luis Robert Jr., and Jordan Alvarez. And then in the National League, Nick Castellanos, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and Juan Soto. And the designated hitters in the American League, Brett Rooker from uh, Oakland and Jorge Soler from Miami. So I think, yeah, that's all the all the all-star names. We're going to take a quick look um, at the standings. So obviously, American League East, Tampa Bay still uh, setting the pace of a ridiculous record of 57 and 30 387 games quite a quite a season that they've had so far so they are in first a five and a half game lead over the Orioles Red Sox in last currently two games behind Toronto and three and a half behind the Yankees in the AL Central Minnesota leads the division with a losing record yes that's still a thing that's happening so I don't know. It's just it's crazy to me. So they're actually even with Cleveland um, atop the AL Central. Cleveland 41 and 42, Minnesota 42 and 43. In the American League West, Texas leads the division. Red Sox will see them tomorrow afternoon to start a three-game series. They have a four-game lead over Houston. In the National League, the Braves are... Uh, running away with the National League at the moment. Um, they actually have the best 
winning percentage in baseball. So they are 56 and 27. They are nine games clear of second place Miami in NL Central, Cincinnati and Milwaukee, even atop the division, and then Arizona in first in the NL West with a three-game lead over the Dodgers. And looking quickly at the wildcard teams, in the American League, you have Baltimore, the number one, Houston, the number two, and then the Yankees, the number three, with Toronto a game and a half back, the Angels two games back, Red Sox three and a half back, Cleveland four and a half, and then Seattle five. In the National League, Miami in that first spot, followed by the Dodgers and the Giants with Cincinnati, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia behind them by a game and a half. So I think close it out. We'll give you some NFL notes before we let you folks go a lot on today's podcast. Um, the NFL suspending four players for uh, gambling violations for this season. And Cam Robinson of the Jaguars suspended four games for uh, PEDs. And J.J. Watt will be joining the uh, will be joining CBS Sports for the upcoming season. Buda Baker will be um, at Cardinals training camp despite his trade request this offseason. So one last little note I actually wanted to mention uh, for going back to the NBA. Summer League starts uh, today, actually, I believe. And so you'll get to see some of the uh, draft picks. Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon, Brandon Miller all expected to play. So actually, believe it or not, there are games uh, tonight on NBA TV. The Salt Lake City Summer League starts, um, and that only goes for three days, as does the California Classic Summer League. So that will go a couple days this week. So there are games tonight, Memphis and Philadelphia, Oklahoma City and Utah, and then kind of the big one, uh, Victor, Victor Wembanyama against Brandon Miller. So that will be fun to watch uh, tonight. That is an 8 o'clock start on ESPN2. Miami and the Lakers, Golden State and Sacramento also playing. The Celtics will start their summer league play on Saturday, July 8th against the Heat. 3 p.m. start on NBA TV. So you'll be able to watch uh, Jordan Walsh and J.D. Davison in particular. Celtics filled out the rest of their roster, I think, with a bunch of other guys who are probably going to be G League players, but don't really know a lot about the other guys. So it would be worth watching, but I think Davison and Walsh will be worth watching in particular as the Celtics get that going uh, this weekend. So great to be back with you folks this week. Uh, No guest Friday this week, so we'll see you next Monday. But everyone have a safe and healthy fourth And uh, we'll see you next week.